Happy Sunday, Marie. Happy Sunday, Diane. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Great. So this Sunday, we're going to talk about our book because last Sunday, um, we talked about all of the great opportunities we've had in our lives in the work environment. So you were the first one to write a book. So we'll start with your book. Um, is your first book, Just Quit? That's the one I know about, but you might know more than I because you're the author. <laughs> yeah, the, the first book is Just Quit. And I wanted to say that I listened to the, um, the last episode. And what I'm going to try to do in this one, I, I'm not going to probably respond to you while you're talking because I noticed it got a little bit mixed up when I did that. And then also what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to hook this right now. I'm on my phone. I'm going to try to hook it to the computer because I think audio is going to be a little better on the computer. So just letting you know technical things right now. Okay. Well, you know, if you do it on your computer, maybe I can do it on my iPad. And so that might help us out with Bob. Because I think my the volume was kind of low for me when I listened to it. My on my side, I didn't seem that strong. My volume wasn't that strong. So you know, you can work on those technical uh, problems or uh, challenges, right, as we go along. But yeah. I've been getting a lot of good feedback uh, from our podcast. Um, even one of my friends put our podcast on her LinkedIn page. I didn't mention her in our last podcast. But she's one of my friends that had 25 jobs before she was 25. So um, I, would, I always tease her about that. Um, but she uh, said that the podcast really helped her, um, you know, with looking at it. it's not just jobs, but it's like you said, it's opportunities, it's experiences, it's, you know, touching people and ideas and being exposed to so many different things. Um, it just keep led to sell move you where, you know, your next destination is. Yeah. Right. Um, so we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about our books today. Um, and yes, Just Quit is the first book I would say I officially wrote. And it's called really Just Quit and Live. And Linda, my sister, added the and live part because when she read, you know, my original draft of it, she just couldn't. She said people are just they're not going to be OK with the bluntness of just quit. Uh, they want to know what comes later. And that's kind of where I had to really come up with the let go. That's the just quit part to let come. Right. So that's how that whole theory came about was the and live part. But I wrote it in back in 2014 uh, when I was still living in Charlotte. And I wrote it from a blog that I started. So I started a blog in 2011 about just quitting. And all I did was in the blog, my main page was how I just quit my job when I was working at Siemens and the great results that I had from just quitting and the process of getting to there and then the great results that I had. And then what happened is from that blog, a lot of people started emailing me because I had my email and my contact information. And the people that were emailing me were suicidal. <laughs> I mean, they were 
not, you know, they, they wanted to quit their job. They weren't happy. Uh, some people I called and I talked to, but at the end of the day, I realized one, I now had a job that I was happy in. And so I had a full life and I couldn't add all of that to my full life. So I said, okay, I know what I'm going to do on my blog. I'm going to put a survey. That survey is still on my blog. I'm going to put a survey on my blog and I'm going to tell people the steps to just quit, but I'm also going to kind of collect some information. So I started collecting demographic information. You know, in addition to why do you want to quit? You know, how old are you? What do you currently do? How much money do you make? Things like that. Where do you live in the world? Okay. So I started that in like 2012, put the, the survey on my blog. And within one year, I had, I probably had, um, it probably was about 1,500 responses like 1,500 responses from, and I remember it was a lot of countries. It was like 60 countries. So I said, okay, this is just not for my consumption. So what I did is I took, I took all their stories. I put it all in an Excel spreadsheet and I said, okay, I'm going to take these stories and I'm going to put them in a book. So I have their story of why they want to just quit. And then I had like a meditation of if you're in that situation, here's what you can think about. And the book is 365 stories, wow. 365 meditations from all these people who wrote in. So it took me six months to write it. I mean, literally when I say six months, it was six months of go to work, come home, immediately eat something work on the book every day for six months because I knew it was going to take that. And I use, I'm not sure who you use, but I use at that time it was called create space. And that was Amazon self publishing location. It's now called KDP. Um, And I'll tell anybody, you know, I hear a lot of people say, I want to write a book. And I just listen to them say that because if you really do want to write a book, it's going to be a commitment. Um, And, and, it is, uh, but it's possible. Um, so published it in 2014 and my blog was the avenue of people finding the book. So at one point my blog was just, I mean, it was on the top of the Amazon list when you typed in just quit. (laughs) It's not anymore, but it was like number one. So when people say, I want to quit my job or I hate my job, I'm suicidal because of my job. That would be the number one hit. And so everybody was coming to the blog and we were finding the book. So then I could track from uh, Create Space how many people were buying it, but I never had to touch it. You know, I never touched it. So when they bought it, it was print on demand. Amazon handled the printing. Amazon handled the shipping. All I saw was the money in the bank. <laughs> so, you know, there's a way to do it. And, you know, right now I, I have probably helped two other people write their book and I'm working on another friend of mine who's trying to write a book, helping them write a book. So it's possible to do it. It's a lot of work, as you know. Um, But that's that's a little bit about my book. And so tell me a little bit about your book, how you wrote it, what it's about and how you published it. Oh, uh, one question, though, before you started. What was the when you look back at your data, what was the. the, the average age of the people who want to quit their job, what was their age? like? Um, you know, what I did, Diane, is I went to Fiverr and I had a guy do a dashboard for me. 
So, and, and I mean, he, he's got a lot of information for me and it was mostly females. So mm-hmm. like it was like 60% females and they were under 45. Okay. So that's, that's the age group. And the, the people who were, there were a few over 45, but not as many. Um, and the average salary was around 50,000. Okay. I was thinking that it would be between 20 and 30, but it's more, uh, it's older, you know, so it's interesting. Uh, almost no. like a mid- midlife crisis. No. You were right. I mean, it's under 45 around that 26 to 35 age was the most. Okay. Yeah, and those are people that they, they can take the risk, right? They can take that risk of not being happy and moving on. People who've been in a, you know, older in the career, not so much because it's hard to get a job. And also I was thinking that um, uh, I remember I started having a lot of things going on in my mind around that between like 30 and 35, 36. Because if you think about it, you know, the average age left is like 70 years. So you've lived half of your life. And, you know, when you're that young, old, you're young, but you're still thinking, you know, you remember being 20, now you're almost 40. You know, you're closer to 40 than you are to 30. And so you're thinking, do I want to do this for the rest of my career? And so then what do I really want to do and what should I really be doing? I think that's when you started asking those hard questions because, you know, you teach, you know, you felt like you were 25 last week and now you're 35. And so now what am I going to do with this time that I have left and how I'm going to be maintain my happiness. So um, interesting. I have, believe it or not, I haven't read your book. I will read it in the next few weeks. Um, oh, because okay. not, not that I want to quit anything, but, you know, maybe quit sitting down and maybe go exercise more. But, um, but yeah, but about my book, first of all, I'm like you. Um, everybody said you want to write a book. It's really a, a commitment. And also you have to really be organized and you have to be um, what I decided to do. Well, I, uh, first of all, my book is about, um, I was in an accident in 2010 and I was in the hospital over 200 days. Um, I had multiple surgeries. I was in a head on car crash and I had a lot of things that uh, epiphanies or uh, visions or things that happened to me that were spiritual. And so I would tell people about them when they came to see me in the hospital. And they said, I wish you write a book. And I was thinking, write a book about what? <laughs> because, uh, you know, being in medicine before in medical sales, that I know, and anybody know anything about statistics, every day there are um, trauma and accidents every day, all day. That's why they have trauma centers in emergency rooms. And so to me, that wasn't new. So what would I write about? So um, I got inspired to write about my book because um, I was still couldn't figure out what to write about, but I got inspired. I was visiting uh, the trauma center, outpatient center. I had a, some more tests and exams I had to go to open the outpatient at the hospital, the trauma center outpatient center. And when I was there, my friend Tish worked at the hospital. So I told her when I finished my um, my exam or, or my doctor's appointment over there, I wanted her to take me on the trauma floor on the, uh, where they actually took care of me 
to thank the doctors and the nurses and the clinicians that worked on the floor. And so, and she said, well, I'll come over. I'm not sure where you were, but because it's been it's probably a year had passed, but I know the girl who works on that floor that she can help me out. Um, you know, to tell me what floor to go on. So I said, okay. So um, we did that, and she said, so we went on the floors, and I thanked the nurses, and they were they were really that they really knew who I was. I was surprised. And one person actually cried when I came on the floor. She said, patients never come to thank them. And um, and then she said, I want you to go to my office and um, meet the people in my office because they were praying for you. And I said, okay, no problem. We walked over to our office, and they asked me to kind of give them an overview of what happened. So I was talking to them. And, um, and I said, my cousin said, and my family told me that um, – that they, the people in the trauma center thought that I would be okay when I came in on the helicopter because I was singing and praying when I got off the helicopter and on the helicopter. And so one of the ladies in the group said, do you remember singing and praying? And I said, no. And so she said, um, your spirit knew to sing. So that's how I got the idea for my book that uh, I was going to write about spirituality and healthcare and medicine, and how those two can help you get better, not just the healthcare, which was my healthcare was fantastic, but also your your spirit and things that help the spirit heal as well as the body heal. So that's what I wrote about, and it took me about like you said six months. It took me a lot longer because I had a lot of edits, and I used a, a publishing company. Uh, and they kept sending it back to me to be edited. So I had about five or six edits before I got the book published. And what's the title of the book? The, the title of the book is um, Teachable Moments in Spirituality and Medicine. And um, the publishing company that I work with is business. So I actually, uh, and we still, some legal stuff with it. So I retitled the book. I made it a second edition. I called it uh, Vision, Valley, and Victory. The Valley, Valley, Vision, and Victory. The second edition. What is uh, Valley, Vision, and Victory. The second edition of Teachable Moments in, Spirit, in Spirituality and Med- Teachable Moments in Spirituality and Medicine. I did a second edition, but it's the same book. I just put pictures in it and added some more. Uh, pieces to it. Um, that's the second edition. So, and it's available on Amazon. It's on Amazon. If you, if you look at my name, Diane Wilson Anwuchekwa, and Anwuchekwa was spelled O N W U C H E K W A, you'll find the book. You'll find Tico Mawitz and Spirituality and Medicine. That was a hard copy, and I'll, I have an ebook in the second edition, also on Amazon. The first one is sold out, um, and I can't republish it, the first edition, until we go through this legal stuff. So with the second edition, are you, is it print on demand? No, it's just the ebook. 
Oh, it's an ebook. Okay. So you know that you can turn that into a hardcover if you want to with KDP, Amazon's self publishing, if you want it. Yeah, I'll probably have to get you to walk you through that process. Okay. It's not difficult. It isn't. I mean, and that part's not difficult now that you have the layout in an ebook. Okay. All you're doing is taking that PDF, uploading it to your bookshelf, and putting a cover on it. Okay. I have a cover. So, um, okay. So, yeah, that's where I am. And so, um, the book, uh, when it came out, I got uh, great reviews. On the first, you look at the first one, you'll see it's like 20 something reviews of the book. So, um, oh, excellent. And I get a lot of calls from publishing companies trying to get me to republish, um, because, you know, apparently they can go on and see things from Amazon. They would tell me they looked on Amazon and this and this and I was telling them I have an ebook. I don't really I have I have some hard copies of the book here with the new edition. Um I haven't I sell them, you know, just on my own. I haven't done a lot with my book recently, but um I still get emails and and, and people find me on Facebook and say I read your book. Thank you so much. So Oh, excellent. That is excellent. I've started. I, I decided, uh, I don't know, it was a couple years after that, maybe 2017, 2018. It took a while, but I decided to, I, you know, you know how you can, I took the book and I blogged the book. So I had 365 days of blogging the book. Wow. Okay. All right. So. Uh, so that if people didn't want to buy the book, all they had to do was go to the blog and look at the blog, which would have the book on it. So it's like, you know, I think I can do a lot with that content. And, and what I'm really thinking is the reason why I, I recently, um, the survey is on um, Poll Daddy, which is now called Crowd Signal. They were sold out. But I recently, you know, did a subscription, $200 for the year, so I could download the information. You can't download it unless you buy the subscription. So I downloaded the information to have it, sent it to Fiverr, and this guy put it in a dashboard for me. This is before COVID, so that I could take that data, because it's very interesting. All the different professions, all the different countries, all the different people, the reasons, the various reasons they weren't happy in their jobs, to say, one, who's this information valuable for? I still think it's valuable for like associations, like professional associations, uh, maybe even maybe even like uh, labor departments, because people never really get an opportunity to really tell the truth about why they're not happy in their jobs. They don't, you know. And this is the honest, bare bone truth. Because what somebody did is they typed into Google, "I hate my job. I want to quit it." They found my blog and they found this survey and they're honest, mm -hmm. you know, they're honest about it because some of these people are really, at, they were at the last resort, like I can't take it anymore. But like I said, because of COVID, things have changed. They have because people have either lost those jobs or trying to hold on to those jobs just so that they can, you know, have a job still, even though they hate it, or they're working from home and maybe that's alleviated some of the reason they hated the job. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. So it's still it's still information that still content that I feel is very valuable. 
Yeah, I, I know so because I think uh, when I when I sold pharmaceuticals, uh, those were jobs that you really kind of trained for a year. So I remember I had my first job in pharmaceuticals when I was very young, like early, like mid twenties. And they, I had five interviews, five different interviews before I got the job. And even um, one of the interviews was actually that I wrote with one of the uh, sales reps, outside sales reps. I spent a day, or I spent my spend two days with them out, just out in the field, just going and seeing what their job was like and going and talking to the physicians with them and the pharmacists. And so the reason, because they invest so much in your training, like a year's training, so if a company puts a year worth of training in, into you, they don't want you to stay one year. You know, they want you to stay until they get their money back because they're probably not going to make their money back for three to five years down the road. And so uh, it, I, I can see it being very valuable um, to, uh, I, I can see it even being valuable to one coming to college or coming for, especially for doctorate or, uh, you know, terminal degrees, because you want people to finish, and but you have to have the right personality, a person who can persevere, and and uh, even terminal degrees, or if you were looking at um, people, you know, who go and get internships and go, you know, become medical physicians uh, and go through their discipline, you know, their discipline of oncology or whatever, it's not going to be an overnight success. Those things is a long haul type of thing. So you need people, you could use that day to find out what type of people could do things for the long haul. You know, most people are very myopic, but most people who make it in those types of professions are people who can tow it for a long time. And so um, I think this new generation is, uh, they want everything instant, but most things that are worthwhile it takes a long time. It's not an overnight success type of deal. So yes, I think it'd be valuable data. And then uh, it reminded me of um, what we talked about, finding your right and perfect place. Most of us don't think about that. We just think about getting a job. <laughs> so I think we need to think about is this is this the best situation for me? Or instead of just saying yes to the first thing that comes our way. Not that if you need money you have to do that, but while you're waiting for the right and perfect place, you should have that as a goal, not as this is just be taking positions without thinking about the whole picture. Right. Yeah. I'm even thinking that um, I'm, I'm really thinking there is that we're not going back to pre-COVID. We're not going back there. We're not. That is, it is a lot of demarcation where you're not going to be able to convince people to go back to coming in the office every day. That's not going to happen. Um. So, I, you know, so what I'm saying is that the whole uh, way of working, the work, work world has changed because of COVID. And even if there's a vaccine and it's still people, you're not going to convince people that it makes sense to 
pay for a house they don't live in, buy clothes they don't really need, drive a car to a place, to a building when you can stay at home. <laughs> it's going to be hard to convince people to be able to do that again. Well, I just, right? I just read in the newspaper uh, or online that Deloitte uh, consulting firm, they just closed three of their buildings. Because just think how much money they're saving, not paying utilities, coffee services, uh, internet services, um, toilet paper, <laughs> janitorial services. By closing the building, just think how much money a, a corporation is paying that you're working home using your own, drinking your own coffee, you know, flushing your own toilet. <laughs> That's a lot of money. And so you, you might. In addition to that, what they're finding is people are more productive at home. Wow. And there's a reason for that. And you know what that reason is, is because you know what happens when you go in the office, especially in cubicle land, is you hear all these people talking, people are coming over to you talking, you know, all that's cut out. You are working. And you are not only working your standard little hours, you might you know, fire up the laptop at 10 at night. So they're finding that people are more productive. So it's a win-win. Yeah. And also, too, just driving there, you know, the time that you're driving there, you can jump on. Just go downstairs and just jump online and, you know, start working where when you drive there, you got to walk from the parking lot there. You got to unpack driving in traffic mentally. And you got to say, like you said, say hello or whatever people do in the morning. That's a lot of time wasted where now you can just jump on and start working. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that maybe we needed this hard stop. I don't know what the hard uh, hard, um, beginning is going to look like, but maybe this is how it's going to be. This is the new business as usual. You know, we, um, it's expensive. Workplace is expensive. And then a lot of workplaces was running out of space anyway for the employees. You know, they were, mm-hmm. especially here, and I live in D.C., they were asking people, um, you know, to work so many days home here because they're running out of space for employees. Um, and then also it cuts down an amount of traffic on the highways um, when we people work from home, especially if they have staggered hours. And so um, maybe it's going to help with the environment, too, not have all these cars on the road every day driving into the office and then driving back home. So maybe, you know, go ahead, Diane. So maybe, you know, I think you are right that this is our new uh, pre-COVID, post-COVID beginning. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's kind of the way I'm looking at the information. This is information pre-COVID. This is the way it used to be. You know, so this is information that uh, 20 years from now, people will be reading, hopefully, to say, oh, people were that miserable at work. You know, they felt that trapped because things have improved so much that either people are enjoying working from home. It's easier to work anywhere now because you can work anywhere you want. So you don't have to live in San Francisco to work for a company in San Francisco or and or people have decided that they can figure out their own thing to do, their own business. Now that they don't have 
they don't have to go into a job and be so everything's so separate, right? So I'm hoping that this information is going to be seen as historical information. I think so. I, I think so. I think that no one, um, you know, in in our country is kind of taboo to talk about leaving or quitting a job anyway. If you was quitting a job, that would be something you told your family members or, or you told your pastor, you told yourself. You wouldn't, you don't announce it at work. You know, you don't even announce that you're miserable. You might be miserable at work, but you would announce it. Uh, you might tell one or two coworkers, maybe, if you feel comfortable or if you feel like you could trust them. And so I think that the data that you collected, I was thinking and said, just quit. I wouldn't only think of work, but that's kind of what sounds like what you gathered most of. I would think it would be with relationships, um, with, um, you know, bad habits. But what you got, it seems like what the most of the data you collected was about the workplace. Yeah, because what happened is I start, my story was about just quitting a job, but the intent of the blog and still the blog, I still blog all the time. Uh, the intent of the blog is to just quit things in life that aren't working so that you could start again more intelligently. But people hooked into my just quit story about the job. And then I put the survey on the blog and that's what it mm-hmm. morphed into. But you're right. The reason why people were asking I'm answering just a random survey was because you can't tell anybody. You can't even tell your family. Why, why can't you tell your family? I remember going through this because your family depends on that income. <laughs> so you cannot go around telling them that you are thinking about just quitting your job without another job or something else to do because they're going to be alarmed and think you're crazy, Right. Uh, it is a bad decision. So they're going to talk you out of it. So that's why you would go find a blog and, and and hope to find someone else who's done it so you can model what they did. Yeah, that's a big decision. <laughs> I've done it a couple of times and I don't regret it. But once I was out there not with a job, I regretted it. You know, what was I thinking about? But I did it for a peace of mind or to hold on to my little peace of mind that I had left. <laughs> but um, but. I, but but I'm glad you wrote the book because um, there's some things that are almost a taboo to talk about. You're supposed to endure it. And, you know, in our culture, we're taught you don't quit a job until you have another job. And, um, and so that's the kind of the golden rule about getting and having a job. And so to get enough courage to just quit and have enough faith to believe that the, the right and perfect place for job or the better situation or something else is better out there for me. That's a lot of faith and that's a lot of, you know, courage. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And, you know, what I tell people and what part of the steps are, are it, it can be strategic. It can be strategic. And the st- strategy part of it is, you know, you're miserable but you don't just quit because of that. What you do first before you quit is you decide that you're going to just quit. It's just a decision to say, I'm going to just quit. You don't decide the date. You don't decide where you're gonna, what you're going to do. Just make that decision 
because until you make that decision, you're not going to do it right. Right. So just make that decision that I'm able to do that. I have the courage to just quit. But then once you make that type of decision, then you can be strategic about it to say, all right, down the road, I'm not going to have this job I don't want to be in. So let me see how long it's going to take me to get my finances together. Right. How long is it going to take me to figure out what am I going to do that day I just quit? How am I going to celebrate? And what am I going to do the next day and the next day and the next day? So just like you were saying, you know, you quit, you feel good about it because you, you know, you need it to, but you still have to be thinking it through enough strategically to say, it's going to be a decision that Mm -hmm. I'm going to control, you know? So, I mean, that's part of, that's part of why I wrote the book to help people get through the steps, really, literally the steps that you need to take to do it strategically. So what do you do with your book now? I mean, so do you, you say you don't promote it anymore. You, how do you, do you, do you tweet about it? Do you do anything with it? Well, do you, um, what do you do with I it? I can't say, I, I said that, but I should take it back because I was at a, um, a kind of a open house thing uh, Friday. And, um, and I took my book there to sell, but it, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a big crowd, only people was there, but I just started talking to people. And one of the, one of the people I talked to at this open house of this kind of bizarre African-American boutique, um, uh, I started talking to this woman and she, uh, we started talking about a lot of things. And she is, she used to work in the Library of Congress. And, I, and I, when she came in, she came with a book and I was thinking, why would she be coming to an African-American boutique with a book? So I figured she was interested in books. So we started talking and I told her that I had written a book and, uh, and I gave her a copy of it. So I kind of promoted like that. Or if I'm in a group, um, like I'm in a, a Bible study group at a Presbyterian church. I don't belong to the church. I'm in this, it's called Resistance Bible Study. And, um, and one of my friends who invited me to the Bible study a year ago, he's been, we read books. One of the things we do, we read books, and we read Kendi's book about being an anti-racist. We finished that book, and we just finished a, a book of the Bible, Jeremiah, and so we're looking for our next book. And so one of my friends was still trying to get them to look at my book. And so they voted on it, and I lost by one vote, and we're reading a book about um, uh, anti-supremacy. I got the name of this book. It's written by a theologian who's a Hispanic. But he talks about how Christianity is kind of whitewashed as a white supremacist tent. But I do promote it, but kind of on one on one. When people are telling me they're struggling with something or they're going through something, I'll give them my book or I'll, I'll tell them they can download it on Amazon um, or ebook. Um, I use it as more of a tool. Not as when I when it first came out, I got a lot of speaking engagements, you know, at churches. At um, I actually spoke at a retreat for ministers. I've spoken at um, um, book club uh, groups. I've spoken at um, like at health spas because my book talks about healing um, and being whole, and so. When it first came out, I was doing a lot of speaking. I did a lot of my own promotion. Um, but now, uh, it's really a one-on-one type of thing. If, if I feel like you're going through something, 
if you're talking to me, I'll give you a copy of my book and I'll talk. So that you know, I survived a seven and a half month of hospitalization and um, and and um, and one of my friends, he keeps telling me that's devoted because he's because in my book, I talk about um, when you go to the doctor, uh, they ask you from zero to 10. If you tell me your neck hurt or your knee hurt, they'll ask you from zero to 10, what's your pain score? And when I talk about in my book, I was in a hospital for seven and a half months, but no one asked me from zero to 10, how's your spirit? Do you believe that you can make it through this? Do you believe that, um, do you, what do you need? You know, not, uh, not uh, oxycodone or some uh, for pain reliever, but what else do you need? Do you need someone to pray with you? Do you need anybody to listen to you? Do you need anybody to hold your hand? Do you need anybody to, um, to read to you? Do you need someone to write you a letter or send you a card to help you go through this? And it was for me, but I, I wrote it also for my fellow patients that I was blessed that I was in the hospital for um, all those days and all those weeks and all those months. And, uh, and I think that you were part of this. You probably don't know. One day I had 26 visitors. I always had a lot of visitors. But one particular day I had 26 visitors. I think it was the day you and Marie and David and Sean came to see me. And that day I had 26 visitors. So I was struggling, but there were some people who were in the hospital with me and they had been there two, three years, and they had not had one visitor in one or two years. And so it's no amount of oxycotton or any of the psychotropics can help with that type of pain, you know, that it's nothing can help but someone coming to visit or someone um, reading to them or praying with them or holding their hand. And and I was thinking that the way the reason I wrote the book, if you got a patient in a hospital who is physically broken, and you know they're physically broken from the X-rays, and you also got a spiritual community out there to not only help with, um, they can help as much as the doctor, a physician can help. So why not marry the, the spiritual community and the and the uh, medical community and and practice wholeness? to get people not just, you know, out the hospital, but really get people whole. And, and that's your goal, not to feed them up a lot of drugs, but to feed them with, you know, they, we may need drugs, but we also need spiritual healing. And I think the hospital is the perfect place to do a physical assessment as well as a spiritual assessment and then find out what the patient truly needs to be to really be made whole. So that's where I kind of wrote the book for my the moments that I experienced to keep to give doctors and clinicians experience of a patient who was working towards not just being fixed or medicated, but actually moving toward wholeness. So, um, so I want to write a book. I want to do a workbook on my book. I haven't done it yet, but that's kind of where I'm at with it. Maybe. You know, I was thinking that as I was listening to you, it might be interesting because you tweet a lot. Um, it's to tweet out, you know, 
you know, portions of your book, you know, phrases in your book. Um, and also I was thinking about, um, did you say the name of the Bible study was called Resistance Resistance Bible Bible Study? Study. Mm -hmm. Resistance? Resistance? Oh, Resist Stores. Okay. So uh, you said you're in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Now we're going to read a book by a theologian who wrote a book on white privilege. There's something in the Bible on white privilege. I, I can't remember the name of it right now. He's a Spanish theologian. So it's interesting you saying that because I thought of you this morning because I read the book of Baruch. Mm. The book of Baruch, Baruch, it's one of uh, the books that they took out of the Bible. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. Apocrypha, the hidden books that were in the Bible. They took them out of the Bible, but they're referenced in the Bible even though they took them out of the Bible. And Baruch was the secretary of Jeremiah. He was Jeremiah's secretary. And what he talked, the reason why I thought about you, was he talked about wisdom, the praising wisdom, right? And probably the reason they took it out of the Bible is because they call wisdom a her, Mm -hmm. right? You know, the book is very patriarchal, but, you know, so I thought about you because I was I was reading about the praise of wisdom and why to praise wisdom. I I associate that word wisdom with you. I always have. Um, I thought about that. So that was interesting. You said you had been reading the book of Jeremiah, but um, if you ever get you know your hands on in, any of the apocrypha, Baruch made me yeah. interesting. Well, you know, I was thinking about um, wisdom when you said that uh, it being a her. That's interesting. Um, um, uh-huh. I think because uh-huh. oh, one time I was with your sister and uh, we were out in D.C. and we stopped by to see one of my favorite painters. He's from the Cameroon and he paints on the streets of D.C. He used to. I think he still does, but not in our neighborhood. I think he's more downtown. I'm not sure with COVID. But, um, but um, so we were sitting there talking. This guy's probably in his 30s, probably 35 or 40. And so this other young guy walks up. He's Ethiopian descent, but born in the USA. I say 25 to 21, 21 to 25. And we started talking about God and spirituality. And he started talking about God being a woman. And he said that it's only way that the only way that God could not be a woman, but he believes that because only women give birth and the whole Mother Earth birthed this whole thing. And so God has to be a woman because he has to birth. It came out of nothing, so it had to be birthed. And so he said, so like you woman talking to me, so if you could touch back to your mother's 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 mother's, he just kept saying the word mother almost to infinity. And he said, you could touch that first mother, you could touch God. And you would know how everything is made and everything is birthed. And so, it, you know, if you think about all the animals, if you think about all of these, even think about all the dogs, small dogs, big dogs, gigantic dogs, that it took somebody wise to create, something wise, a spirit wise to create just all the different types of dogs. 
And when I was thinking about all the different types of human beings, which is kind of fascinating, or plants or trees or flowers. And so he said all of that was birthed out of woman. So I, I, you know, I like the word. I like to think that wisdom is a woman um, because wisdom also is loving and kind and it's the fruits of the spirit and the fruits of a woman. So I like that. That doesn't scare me. That excites me. That the book of I've heard of that book of Barak. I've heard that book. I think I might have read some of it years ago. It's very short. It's it's very very short. It's like five chapters, but it's very mm-hmm. short. It's easy easy reading. So Diane, we're right at about forty five minutes okay. right now. So is there anything more that you wanted to say about your book, writing your book? Well, I- Status well, of your. Well, I, I still believe that uh, one of the ladies that I, the lady that I met who worked at the library, Connor, she just retired two years ago, um, and we were talking about. I was telling her that uh, being a friend of the chapel, we had stored some of our uh, oral histories at the Library of Congress, and I was telling her that that everyone I think who is capable is to write a book, and but it. Like you said earlier, when we first started, to write a book, you have to do one thing. You have to write. And that means that you also have to get a plan. Like my plan was that I would wake up in the morning, I would go work out with these guys at the gym. It was like a rec center in D.C. But our rec centers are so wonderful. We have the rec center, the senior center, and the library, and a swimming pool in the same building. And so uh, I would go work out with them. And um, I would go to the library and research anything about spirituality and healing and medicine. And, um, and then I would write down those ideas. And then I would come home and eat dinner. Then I would sit, just be quiet. And then I would write about my experience uh, from what I had read, kind of, kind of marry what. And I did that every day from November to April. And then I turned my internet off in the house. So that means I wouldn't go on the internet and get in that black hole and not be writing. And then the next thing I did, I cut the television off from November to April. I didn't watch television. And so um, you have to really be serious if you decide to write. It was only for six or seven months of my life. So, but, but out of that, I got a book that once I'm gone, it's still be on the shelf. And then the shelf is on there. Because I'm a D.C. resident, they put every D.C. resident's book on the shelf at D.C. Public Library if you, if you go out and, you know, fill out the forms and tell them what you want to do. So my book is, is on the shelf in D.C. Public Library. So, so my story is out there. So 100 years from now, somebody can pick up your story. So I, I, I admonish everybody to write a book and discipline yourself for six months or seven months to make it happen. I absolutely agree to that. That it everybody's capable of doing it now with the technology that's out there to assist in making that happen. And you don't have to wait for someone to publish it. You can self publish exactly. it yourself. And also too, with Fiverr, you mentioned Fiverr, you also can send it to people in Fiverr, there's editors out there that will help you edit the book. And so, and, and like Marie said, there's, 
you know, KDP to help you publish the book. So write the book, tell your story, because your story is not my story, it's not Marie's story, it's your story, and don't die with your story. Don't die with your book inside of you. Yeah. So next week, Nyan? Next week, Marie, what do you think we should talk about? You know, one of the things that's been interesting is uh, what we could talk about. I've been working with my brother and looking at Paul Wesley's murder. Mm -hmm. And we, we had on the list that we could talk about the fact that your husband and my brother were both killed with gunshot wounds to the head. That's a deep subject, but you know, and this is what I told my brothers, we were sitting there at the shop looking at it. It's like I'm moving myself out of being the sister. I'm the detective. I'm trying to find out who shot him. So it is, if you've had, maybe you know, we could talk about maybe, you know, a lot of people in, in the black community have gone through gun violence. You know, we can talk about what that feels like and, you know, what we can do about it. Yeah. What do you I think? Love it. I, it's love it, but okay. I love to talk about it. Because I, um, when we talk next week, I'll mention that I always thought gun violence was distant from me. You know, I, I didn't know anyone that experienced gun violence. And then within a year or two, I knew not only, yeah, I think your brother was killed first and then Charles was killed second. I think within a year or two of each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that changed our lives. It did. It did. And it changes people's lives to have to go through it. Yeah. Wow. Okay, yeah. It's been a pleasure talking to you. you God bless you. Have a great week. Oh, it's a great day coming up this week. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> maybe, may, depending on what happens, maybe we'll have to drop some knowledge about what happened. Let's see, right? Yes, yes. 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 Okay, we'll see what happens. All right, we'll have a great week. You too, Diane. Bye.